My fellow Americans, today our armed forces joined our NATO allies in airstrikes against Serbian forces responsible for the brutality in Kosovo. We have acted with resolve for several reasons. We act to protect thousands of innocent people in Kosovo from a mounting military offensive. We act to prevent a wider war, to defuse a powder keg at the heart of Europe that has exploded twice before in this century with catastrophic results. And we act to stand united with our allies for peace. By acting now, we are upholding our values, protecting our interests, and advancing the cause of peace. Tonight, I want to speak with you about the tragedy in Kosovo and why it matters to America that we work with our allies to end it. First, let me explain what it is we are responding to. Kosovo is a province of Serbia in the middle of southeastern Europe, about 160 miles east of Italy. That's less than the distance between Washington and New York, and only about 70 miles north of Greece. Its people are mostly ethnic Albanian and mostly Muslim. In 1989, Serbia's leader, Slobodan Milosevic, the same leader who started the wars in Bosnia and Croatia and moved against Slovenia in the last decade, stripped Kosovo of the constitutional autonomy its people enjoy, thus denying them their right to speak their language, run their schools, shape their daily lives. For years, Kosovars struggled peacefully to get their rights back. When President Milosevic sent his troops and police to crush them, the struggle grew violent. Last fall, our diplomacy, backed by the threat of force from our NATO ally, alliance, stopped the fighting for a while and rescued tens of thousands of people from freezing and starvation in the hills where they had fled to save their lives. And last month, with our allies and Russia, we proposed a peace agreement to end the fighting for good. The Kosovar leaders signed that agreement last week. Even though it does not give them all they want, even though their people were still being savaged, they saw that a just peace is better than a long and unwinnable war. The Serbian leaders, on the other hand, refused even to discuss key elements of the peace agreement. As the Kosovars were saying yes to peace, Serbia stationed 40,000 troops in and around Kosovo in preparation for a major offensive and in clear violation of the commitments they had made. Now they've started moving from village to village, shelling civilians and torching their houses. We've seen innocent people taken from their homes, forced to kneel in the dirt and sprayed with bullets. Kosovar men dragged from their families, fathers and sons together, lined up and shot in cold blood. GlobalRecon.net, giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. Co-hosting with me for this episode, uh, back on the podcast, is Chantel Taylor, um, author of the book, Battle Worn, uh, retired British Army combat medic. Chantel, how's it going? Hey, it's good, John. How are you? I'm good. I am good. So, um, for this episode... I had a conversation with a retired Slovenian special operations medic. Uh, he had some interesting experiences. Uh, you know, we'll get into that in a second. 
but Chantel, he had a rotation into the Balkans. I, I know you have some experiences there yourself, right? Yeah, that was um, that was actually one of my first uh, operational tour was to Kosovo in. Um, 1999 and it was um yes it's an interesting place actually it's a different a different place it's it's kind of um it's it's quite a dark place and the stuff that was going on there um was quite harrowing actually i mean it obviously the lead on um, from bosnia that was just as horrific and then it just sort of let it went on to that, that whole sort of region was affected um yeah, that was quite a, for a first tour for 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 me as a junior medic and a, and a junior soldier. That was actually quite quite rough and cold, which is interesting for me to say as a Brit. Yeah. <laughs> so you're yeah, I know, and it's kind of you know that entire region has a, a very deep history, and it's kind of an interesting place because you know throughout history the Balkans kind of sat in the way of conquering uh, armies going either yeah. east or west. So, you know, whatever army was on top of the world at that time had to pass through there to get to the other part of the known world, you know? So it was like... Yeah, sure. And it is, and, it's, and they still... I found their um, their methods of um, either, you know, their methods of either getting rid of people or, or terrorizing people were pretty barbaric, you know, but, you know, back in sort of the olden times, the, the methods were pr- pretty um, savage. And, you know, for the longest time we had teams, um, I'd, I'd operated on the border with Serbia um, with little sort of recon teams around the um, the border that used to just sort of protect that area. But we had teams that were out with the um, digging up the mass graves and stuff of, where they basically just executed um, entire villages, and that was that was pretty heavy stuff, you know. Because you often find this is, I think, what we forget sometimes is soldiers don't only only deal with combat and the, the the sort of art of war, but you have you have to deal with things like, you know, piecing together um, incidences where entire families are wiped out, and what happens is. The bodies are discovered and then or recovered, if you like, and then the story has to be pieced together. So, along with the Canadian, I'm sure so there were some other international police forces involved. Well, you know, our soldiers had to go in and uh, excavate, uh, you know, dig up these graves too. So that was quite quite tough. You know, it's a, those those sorts of um, conflicts. I'm not saying they've been forgotten about, but because of the conflicts we've been involved in have been far more kinetic of late. You do tend to forget the psychological effects from those places are probably sometimes a little bit worse because you still you do see the kind of really dark side of humanity there. Yes, it's very ugly, and um, I actually happened to grow up having some Albanian friends, and I remember when that was happening, uh, some of their fathers went over there to help in in some capacity, um, you know, with the efforts. And yeah, you know, I, I think I believe in Kosovo they. They had like small groups of resistance fighters. Um, yeah, they did. But you know, against a you know a, a professional military, you know, backed by the Russians, they really didn't have much of a chance. No, and they, and like you know, those they would go in and just do raids on entire sort of villages and wreak wreak havoc in those places. It was it was yeah, it was a shitty time. And at the end, you know, again, this is this is going to sound crazy, but um, I remember through all the sort of places I've been in my life, I always seem to to find places with dogs. And Kosovo was exactly the same. You know, every sort of conflict region, regardless of where it is, there's always dogs left 
you know, strewn around the place. Right. And, and you and I would do, obviously just our, our pri- previous conversation we were talking about a pit bull. But, the, you know, when you've got sort of wild packs of dogs just cutting around, they, they kind of, I suppose the, the reason I bring it up is because it's not always as simple as, you know, moving from cover to cover because packs of dogs can be quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in every sort of conflict I've been in, there's always packs of dogs everywhere and you're like, geez, you know, it's almost like, you know, you, you have to, it's things that you, you're not really taught, you know, you that while I was in basic training, no one ever mentioned dogs, you know, no one right. ever said, oh, there's packs of dogs cutting around that you need to deal with. And it's kind of, so it's, it's kind of weird like that because I, I guess they're everywhere, yeah. like the Middle East, or, you know, yeah, they Eastern are. Europe, and, and, and even in like, um, you know, I, I sort of revert back to Afghan again, but the dogs in Afghan are like little tanks because <laughs> they're bred for fighting and, and these dogs are like you know you, you do you find beautiful dogs don't get me wrong I and mean, we used to always end up you'd always end up with a uh you know pets and stuff like that but some of them are just nasty vicious sort of beasts yeah <laughs> and you wouldn't you, yeah you don't want that coming down your hallway at you right <laughs> and that's it's, but again it's an interesting tactic and, and we we always discuss these sort of strange things we all go through our training and it's all very clinical and everything happens. I'm not saying happens the way we want it to, but then you throw that into the mix. What do you do? Cause it's yeah, you're fine. You can shoot the dog, but it's a moving target at the end of the day and it's coming and it's coming at you. If, if I'm talking about, yeah, if you're in sort of um, close quarter combat, but you just kind of, yeah. Don't forget the dogs guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and you know, it's interesting. I, I was watching a documentary a couple of years ago and they, they briefly touched on the conflict over there and they interviewed like some Serbian journalist and, uh, I guess former gov, you know, kind of high government officials within the Serbian yeah. government. And they all like had this attitude, like the United States intervening there. And, you know, they, they, they had done some bombing. I, I guess there was some like allied bombing and, and on specific targets within Serbia. Yeah. And, they were talking about it like it was such an outrage, but they had no problem with uh, basically a genocide that was going on that would have yeah. kept on going on had the United States and, and you know, Britain and the allies yeah. not intervened. And I remember looking like, what the fuck are these people talking about? Like, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's it's a really, it's concerning because that, and they genuinely feel that way. It's almost like, um, you know, they were ethnically cleansing people and, and, and doing it in a way that it was just it was there was there was no kind of um, it, it didn't happen by accident. It wasn't a case of oh shit, this is happening. We're going to have to just they they were ethnically cleansing that country right. and 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 to think that that's okay and oh you shouldn't bomb you know I, it pisses me off because I just think well hang on you know that's not because um, the knock on effect is is you can leave that you can keep that can continue to happen and you can think, you know what, we're not going to get involved in stuff. But what will happen is, is the ripple effect that that will eventually reach you. Right. In, you in, know, in some way. And, some form. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the, uh, the Serbians will then get bolder and bolder and start, yeah. you know, tumbling into the other countries in that area. And, you know, that's exactly what happens. You know, it's just, because if, as soon as people start to fold and I mean, you know, you can get, look at Hitler and his sort of, as soon as he starts to take countries and people, what can happen is that spreads and then what you get to a point where you kind of you know you're you're stuck in a position where it's then it's you and them right and it's like 
you know, you're in those type of situations, in my opinion, you're better off stopping it before it spreads. And that's kind of, uh, if you want to go back to like 2014, when, um, ISIS started making their push across into Iraq, uh, you know, they were executing thousands of people. And, and, you know, at some point, uh, the, a lot of the Iraqi army divisions who were in the north and in the area closer to Syria, they didn't yeah. they didn't fight at all. They just fled and, you know, left all their equipment behind, that kind of thing. And yeah. what's interesting is, um, you know, even throughout the kind of uh, craziness that's been Iraq for the past 15 years, um, they have a unit within the Iraqi military uh, known as the uh, Iraqi Special Operations Forces that were trained by... Uh, Army Green Berets. And what's interesting about them is they are a collection of different ethnicities and uh, religious faiths, but they all work together. And they're actually a very professional unit. And they've been constantly fighting, you know, since like 2005, I think, when they when they were trained up. And ISOF, they, they almost single-handedly held ISIS back from taking the entire Iraq. And yeah. I mean, with with support from uh, you know Western air air forces and stuff like that, but these guys really held it down. And um, yeah, sure. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I was I was during my time in you know, as a, a contractor in Iraq. I was there from what 2011 until two, 2015. So we've seen, you know, we've seen that country go from, and it was it was it was in a, a really a good place at one point. You know, we we were driving the sort of width and breadth of that country. And although obviously we ha- we have our own um, intelligence sort of um, gathering methods and the and the way that we conduct our own business, but it was relatively safe for people. You know, the people of the country were were going about their business. They were sort of getting back on their feet. And I remember seeing um, in the early days when they were sort of rising up of the the, con- the concerning way that they were sort of cut, cutting around murdering um, Iraqi troops, and that was it was done you know in an extremely cold way. Where it was, I think it was quite shocking for those because those men that were sort of manning um, some of the checkpoints, they weren't high speed soldiers, or they were, you know, they were just there, you know, for sort of filing people through and, and, and doing what they do. Right. You know, that's how the, that's how those cultures are, and that's fine if it works. If you haven't got lunatics running around, but obviously then what was they they became very easy targets. So it, it probably took a unit like that to actually, like you say, to stop that that tidal wave just just ripping through the entire country because they, you know they were in they were in some sort of positions where Baghdad was very close to well obviously bombs did get through but um it's how many you can take isn't it it's how many before you just become completely lawless right and yeah Baghdad was actually like they were close to it uh yeah. and then they got they got stopped at a certain point i forget exactly where but um you know they almost made their push into Baghdad but what what's interesting now is that you know like i mean everyone pretty much knows isis days you know owning land how they do now numbered uh you know it's just after they they take mosul and and then they i guess maybe they'll push harder into syria uh you know then it, it turns into this insurgency type of thing again you know it's like suicide bombs and that sort of thing but yeah um you know it's, it's and that's it's, and it's funny you say that, John, because and then sort of going back to a conversation of that that's not Kosovo, but if, if it's not dealt with, what happens is that it encroaches on everything. 
you know if you if you leave these places bubbling and i still I, i'm sort of kind of boring people with harping on about africa but the way that we sometimes leave these places bubbling away and then it's almost like a big shock not necessarily to military people it's a big shock to society oh how did, how did that happen well you know if you leave these if you leave places bubbling away for long for long enough like any sort of vo- volcano it's going to ex- explode at some point isn't it yeah absolutely yep yeah all right cool so all right so with that um now I'll, I'll get into the conversation that i had with our slovenian special operations medic hey what's going on guys uh on with me for this episode this is a special guest is Sidic, and Sidic is a former Slovenian uh, Special Forces medic. Uh, Sidic, how's it going, brother? All good, bro. All good, bro. How's it doing? Everything is good, man. Um, so, you know, S- Slovenia <laughs> is a small country, um, European country. Uh, you, I'm sure you, you guys don't have a very large military, but you guys are active in, in the world and... Uh, you know, different type of capacities. Um, so we'll, we could, we'll talk about, you know, your career a little bit. And uh, before we get into that, can we talk about, you know, what motivated you to join the Slovenian military? I tell you the truth, bro. It was more like um, something that I always wanted to try. So when I finished high school, I had one year, I fucked up something at the end of the school with my grade. So I had one year of time. So I did like a three-month uh, basic training only, and then you don't have to stay in the military. It was just like, you know, go do it, and then if, in case of war, they call you. So I did that, and then I noticed I'm pretty good at it, so I just stayed in the Army. So <laughs> basically, like, not a big, big reason why I joined. Okay, so... so- is that kind of like a like a national guard type of setup? Like like that's kind of how in the states, you know, you you, you have your um or, or the reserves, you know, you you do like yeah. a, a weekend a month that type of thing. Uh, we have like you have like you can go professionally in the army, so that means you go in the army and you that's your job. Um, then you have the reserve, that means you do the basic training, and then once a year or some shit like that, then they call you. Or you can just go and do the basic training, and then you're out. You don't have nothing to do with the army. Basically, you just do the basic training, and then, like in the case of war, they just call you up. Like, you don't have to go every year do um, let's say a week of training or something. You do the three months of basic training, and you're done. Oh, that's so. kind of interesting. I, I guess that's a uh-huh. way, you know, for a smaller country to kind of stay ready. Basically, it's like uh, all of your like. Whoever decides, it's not mandatory, but whoever decides can go and try and then see if it's good for you, you can stay. If not, you'll still have some training. And then, again, like I said, in a case of a bigger, let's say, world or whatever, it's easier because you already have some people that have training, so you don't start from scratch. So, right. Yeah. Okay, and, and where is Slovenia located in, in Europe? Uh, it's basically some people call it Central Europe, some people call it still the Balkans, but it's basically if you know where is Italy, it's basically east from Italy, south from Austria, and uh, west from fucking Hungary. So it's between those two, those three countries, and then on the south it's uh, Croatia. So 
Is it like a like a, mount, a mountainous terrain type of country or? It's a health app. We have Alps or we have the coast. So basically, whatever the fuck you want. It's a good thing. If you go for a holiday, I recommend it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, cool. So you you did your basic training and then you realized you liked the the uh, the soldiering. So you went back in full time. Um, and now, did you you were in the infantry when you when you first signed up full time? Yeah, mechanized infantry. Okay, and um, so what was that like for you? Was is that was that like a lot of training? Um, did did you do training in other countries, or did you, was that like more uh, local mm-hmm. for you? Like I didn't basically when I finished with my when I finished with my school and then sign up for real. Um, they put me in some more basic training, basically. And after that, um, we can say I got uh, I had to do some uh, internal training. Let's say we have like a battalion here, which is like a, I always call it like a little bit better. And then if you want to get in that battalion, you have to do like a, let's say a um, small selection. We can call it like that. It's like basically, I think it was like one week or two weeks. Fucking forgot. Um, it's just like you know they try to teach you all the shit that they do and so it's like some kind of education selection program uh so i did that and then after that they put me on a course for uh um big guns so basically the 40 mic mic and uh 50 cal so i did that and then i immediately went for training for the deployment for the fucking k4 to kosovo so i was pretty how do you call this active when I came in? I got lucky. So the the rotation into Kosovo, uh, you know, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, Kosovo is a region uh, right next to Albania, north of Montenegro, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's north of Montenegro and east of Serbia. Yeah, basically. So they, Kosovo is largely... Um, Ethnic Albanians. Um, there was a large Albanian community there, uh, but I, I believe it was under Serbian control at the time. And um, it's like a Serbian holy land. I mean, they call it it's their holy land. They have a lot of it's prehistory of Serbia. It comes from there. Okay, so uh-huh. so they. Um, I believe what was it was it nineteen ninety or it was it was somewhere in the early nineties. Early nineties. Yeah, early 90s, there was basically a, a, a genocide uh, going on with, or ethnic cleansing with a, this, I don't know if it was like Serbian militias or the Serbian military were basically uh, just like militias. Ec- militias. Yeah. So they were basically like just executing, you know, thousands of Albanians, like um, ethnic Albanians. And I, I believe they were majority Muslims. Um and it was a very bad problem. And then I, the, the United States intervened, I guess, with some some sort of support from NATO and, and other some other NATO countries. And, um, you know, they, it was pretty bad for a while. But, you know, they were able to kind of push the Serbs back a little bit. And and I, I guess Kosovo, is it still considered, is it still under Serbian control now or no? No, it's um, they're getting they got their uh, like um, independence. We can say I don't know. A Serb still didn't recognize it, but they're like uh, getting uh, 
if they're trying to get in their own country. I mean, they have like a they have it, but they don't have it. I don't know. It's hard to it's like the same problem like with Kurds in I would say around Turkey and stuff like um, if you know just a, here it's a little bit bigger because Albanians have uh, I mean Kosovo has their own flag and a government and everything and it's recognized by some countries of the European Union I mean and the NATO and all this stuff so but they still have a lot of problems with the Serbs because they're not like letting it go that easily right and and then of course the the Serbian government is is backed by Moscow and and the, the Russian you know so um yeah. I guess it's like it turns into a little bit of that kind of cold war Mentality. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, like everyone's kind of caught up in that. Um, so, so your your rotation in the Kosovo was a part of that that peacekeeping mission. Yeah, we did six months, six months there as a basically, a, let's say, crowd URF crowd control patrol. We did basically everything from patrolling the Serbs. We were there mostly, basically, to patrol the Serbs mm-hmm. and Klavas. Mm-hmm. So basically, the where the Serbs majority was to make sure that they didn't have that much problems with the Albanians. Uh, we did some border patrols, uh, like trying to catch some illegal traffic going on because there is a big route that goes through there, from drugs to prostitution to everything to weapons. So, and we also, like I said, provided QRF for in case of any major, let's say, demonstrations or whatever. It was like, um, it was not um, focused, basically, deployment. We just did whatever the fuck they, you know, they needed us for. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so your your deployment last uh, was six months. Um, then you got back home. And then did you begin your um like training and and heading towards becoming a soft medic at that point or how'd that work uh basically before i came home i was we have a i was supposed to go to a like a recon unit but they like um they're not they're not sf unit but you know that they're like uh, they're treated a little bit like a sf unit let's say let's say so i was thinking about joining them and be there like maybe for a year or two and then joining the SF. But I had some problems with my basically lieutenant with my platoon leader. So I can say that he fucked me up. And so when we get back, we got back from the deployment, they, um, he arranged for me to get a, become a fucking security off. I mean, security or in the fucking air force base doing like gate security and shit like that. Right. So basically after the deployment, they show me the Air Force Base. So, and after that, I had a friend, my best friend was with me there because uh, he loved us, both of us. Um, and he was already one time on the selection, so he was now preparing to go on the second time. And he was like, oh, come on, join me, you know. We can go together, you know, what the fuck you're going to do here? You're going to be a security fucking guy all this fucking life, blah, blah, blah. You didn't enjoy the military for this shit. So I was like, yeah, why the fuck not? So me and him started training. I mean, I started training with him uh, for the selection. And then I 
worked there like maybe for a fucking six months. And then after six months, I went for the selection for the second unit. And so, so I know here, here in the States, um, you know, obviously there's different soft units, so there's different yeah. requirements and selections uh, times. But then I believe for any soft unit in the States, if you want to be a medic, the 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 training is longer. So you can go through, you know, whatever requirements the unit has for anybody who's going into their selection. Yeah. And then you have to do the, the medical training as well. Is that something similar for Slovenian military? Yeah, like let's say um, our unit is, when our unit was started, the SF unit, it was mostly like training with the SAS and the Navy SEALs. So after that, the selection program and, it came a little bit mixture of, let's say, the UK and the US. So with us, is when you want to join the SF unit, you have to do like it's like a fourteen, let's say, four, two weeks of selection, which everybody has to do it, no matter if you're joining in the uh, unit or you're joining the logistics or the support or whatever the fuck. You have to do those fourteen days. After those fourteen days, the guys who are uh, applying for uh, let's say the combat part have to do six months of basic training which is basically getting to learn it's like a small ranger basically I said like that so you learn all the small unit tactics all the some of the medical shit or some of the you know engineering garly shit some of the let's say weapons and stuff like that and when you finish with the six six months basic training you get in the unit and then you start doing your specialization so in some terms it's like, like a little bit different than <clears throat> let's say your um, u.s let's say green berets you know you finish the selection and then you immediately go to the u course or 18 delta or whatever you're going to be here you have to finish first the six months of basic training to get to get to know the unit tactics and all that stuff and then you start with the specialization because we're, like you said, it's a small country, it's a small unit. You cannot have like um, everybody not knowing everything. So we have to work on basically everybody has to know everything until some point, and then you do the extra for your specialization. Ah, uh, okay. And and yeah. what what is the name of the unit? Uh, can you, can you basically call the uh, special operation unit. Uh, in Slovenia, it's called Enota Speciano de Lovania, but if I translate it to English, it's called Special Operation Unit. So. Okay, and um, so you know, obviously, in a country like the U.S., where there's such a large military, um, you know, there are units that are very specific uh, to you know certain type of operations. Um, you know, like one unit seals there. I mean, obviously, with the global war on terror. Things have kind of gotten mixed up in terms of uh, specialties and and what type of operations units are taking on. Um, but traditionally, it would be SEALs and and the Marines would kind of have the, the maritime responsibility, and then the Army would take on some of the other responsibilities uh, in in terms of special operations mission sets. Um, is is that something that's differentiated in the Slovenian military or is it something where everybody is kind of responsible for the, the whole spectrum of, of uh, operations? Basically, like I said before, uh, small, small country, small unit, we cannot, you know, afford basically to have, let's say one team for this, one team for this. So what we try to try to, um, 
uh, incorporate everything so everybody knows at least the basics for everything. And then maybe you have an ODA that's a little bit, you know, specialized in the maritime, you know, the other one is maybe a little bit specialized more for uh, DAs for direct action, stuff like that. But like a unit unit, we try to to get everybody to know at least the basics. So, um, because it's really hard to stretch the small unit in like, you know, to stretch it out. Okay, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do this, you're gonna be specialized for this, you're gonna be specialized for this. So basically, like I said, try to to get everybody to know these basics for all of the operations. Right. And then, you know, that, that makes sense, I guess, you know, from, from the Slovenian military standpoint. Um, all right. So, so now you're, you make it into the unit. Um, you, you, you become a special forces medic. Um, you know, we spoke off there a little bit about it. You, you've done a lot of training, cross training, uh, with American soft units. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, like I said, when I fin- when I finished my basic training, I was not even maybe two months when I I went to the states. Me and one other guy, we did uh, for some Houston. So we did like the EMTB and the sixty eight whiskey combat medic course. And so that was the beginning of our cross cross training with the SF. I mean with the US. Uh, I did like what four months or even more there. We did that, so, and then we came back. We did uh, a couple cross-training with, mostly with Green Berets with you. So, um, we did some, most of them we do back home or at the Grafener at Germany. So, it really depends on the situation. Um, what kind of training? We do a lot of, like I said, I did medical training. Uh, then we have, we had like, PJ is coming by, uh, doing some medical training with us. Um, it really depends so, of uh, the intentions. Let's say if we're getting pre-deployed, we get we get the unit we, we're gonna deploy with. They come here, we go to Germany, so we get to know each other, stuff like that. So, like um, I don't know if I can be more specific. Basically, we do everything. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you're, you know, so you, you did your um, combat medic course here in the States. And so for all soft units in the United States, regardless of, you know, what branch of the military you're in, everybody goes to the uh, Special Operations Medical Course, which is run by the uh, 18 Deltas, uh, Green yep. Berets. Uh, is that a course that you attended? Yeah, there's uh, we do. We try to send at least one guy. Uh, a year there, so, um, so we also do that course basically. So uh, it used to be a little bit different. Like I said, some some of our guys that were there before it was it was not that open, let's say, for uh, foreign foreign uh, foreign soldiers. But now they change it, so you do the whole fucking nine months there. So you do basically the same same course as the U.S. guys. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, in, in the this global war on terror, there's been a lot of advancements in, in medical um, medical advancements, bleeding control, uh, things like that. Uh, 
tourniquet use uh, is, and it's been reflected in the states with guys coming back and you know setting up medical courses and uh, you know training police departments or you know whatever it is, and it's really like raised the level of awareness, and and people are still attempting to raise that level even higher. Um, is is that something that's been reflected in Slovenia as well? Um, the big problem about Slovenia is, I mean, a problem, a good thing, and a bad thing is, uh, it's a small country, you know, so a lot of people back home, or like a lot of people in the world, they don't see us, then people back home also feel like they're, they're safe, you know, because nobody sees them. So, like, medically-wise, affecting people with this kind of knowledge is, yes, we, we did a lot of course training with our, let's say, the police, uh, especially the squad units, stuff like that. But, like, getting the awareness to the people back home is a pretty pretty hard thing uh, because um, people in Slovenia like to live in their bubble. You know, we're a small country, we're safe, nothing happens here, and stuff like that. So, um, I think there's a lot of, lot of work to be done there. But for now, like, um, people just don't find the motivation to, you know, how the fuck, you know, when you do, when you find something out and try to sell it, I mean, sell it, try to use it in public, everybody goes like, well, what the fuck we need this, you know, we're a safe country, nothing happens here. So it's, it's not like the same in the States or anywhere else because nothing happened at our, at our home, like that, you know, and people feel safe, so. They don't need. They they think they don't need this knowledge. Basically. Right, and it's a big problem. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because, yeah. um, you know, it's like, uh, and and I guess this is something that's kind of an issue with humans anywhere on the planet. You know, um, people feel like, you know, if, if it doesn't happen to you, then it's not possible. You know, or yeah. and a lot of times it's like until this, you know, something happens you feel like it could never happen to you, you know? And, yeah, um, that's the problem, you know, you have to be prepared for the shit when it happens, so you're fucking prepared. You don't need something to happen for you to get, you know, oh, your mindset, oh shit, I should you do that, I should know that, I should know, you know, try that, I should learn that, you know? Right, and, it, and, and by yeah. the time you come to that realization, it's too late, you know, the event passed, so now you're reacting, yeah. and, um... Yeah. Reaction is always slower than the action, you know? Right, right. And um, even like, so, you know, you say there's there's like a lot of Alps in your country, right? There's a, it's yeah. a good place to vacation. Even, you know, having basic knowledge of, of bleeding control and tourniquet use would be great for, you know, people are skiing or something. You have an accident, um, you know, for, for hemorrhage control, you know, you throw in a tourniquet until you can get uh, emergency responders there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. e- e- even... You know, outside of the realm of uh, police work or kind of like a terrorist attack, just that basic knowledge, you know, a car crash, you know, if your your leg gets twisted up and, you know, the maybe you have a like an, a bilateral amputation in the lower leg. Um, you know, if you have basic knowledge of bleeding control and you have a tourniquet on on your on your person or in the car somewhere, you can potentially save someone's life, you know, Um the other day, on someone posted on Facebook. I, I think it was in Iran somewhere. Okay. Um, this guy tried to rob a bank, and 
and I guess the citizens were like, they, they kind of thwarted his attempts. And then a, a police officer happened to be walking by. And so he pulled yeah, out. I saw the video. Yeah. You saw, you saw that? Yeah. So, yeah, I saw the video. So the guy, he shot it. yeah, he shot him in the leg. And it, like, it's, yeah. it's interesting because a lot of people like they'll kind of criticize police action in the States and say, Oh, you know, they, maybe they should have shot him in the leg. Well, this video is an example of <laughs> yeah. why that could be dangerous. So, this Iranian police officer shot this guy in the leg, and I, I guess he hit an, an artery. And um, Permanent artery. Yeah, so the guy like bled out and died on on camera on the video, like within yeah. two minutes, you know. And there was a there was one guy in the crowd who, after the guy looked like he was pretty much gone, came uh, took his belt off and and tried to tie the belt above the wound, but it was obviously too late. And you know, in a situation like that. You know, had that police officer had that training about tourniquet use and bleeding control, or if you know that that guy kind of jumped up a little quicker, maybe they could have saved that guy's life. You know, but it, it's uh, I think that video is kind of a perfect example of um, of people not having knowledge and what the consequences could be. You know, yeah, yeah, I saw the video. It's a good, it's a good education video. <laughs> right, I mean, it, it sucks for the guy, but it, it, like you said, it you know, it, it is something you can learn from. You know. Yeah, it's good to know, you know, like medical training. It's not even the Alps. Like, let's say I had a couple courses here for people that work on rigs and stuff like that, you know, with heavy machines or whatever the fuck you work, you know, construction. It's possible everywhere you can fucking, you know, even I had a friend back home because I studied graphic design. His fucking uh, arm got caught in the fucking uh, printing machine, you know, amputated, you know, so... It doesn't, it's not, you know, like you said, it's not, uh, it doesn't care what the fuck you do, basically. It's good to have at least some fucking knowledge of right. this shit. Right, yeah. and, and, you know, if you, you know, you could potentially save someone's life, you could save a family member, you know. and um, <laughs> Or yours at the end. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so one of your rotations, one of your deployments as a soft medic was to Afghanistan. Um you were deployed with uh, a Green Beret unit? Yeah. We got deployed with Green Beret, basically two, um, two, 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 two ODAs, because one was uh, there when we came, and we stayed with those guys for, like, I think three three months, and then they switched, so we stayed with the other ODA for, like, three or four months. Okay. So yeah. the, the deployment... So it was like seven months or something like that? Altogether, it was almost like eight months, basically. Because uh, we were the last rotation of the, of the uh, I'd say, ISAF, because they later changed it to, fuck, I forgot how they call it now. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Oh, you, so, you mean like the, uh, like the coalition, basically? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we were basically, let's say, our our deployment was the first official SF deployment for the Slovenian our I mean, our unit, let's say, call it like that. So it was like a big deal back home because before that we didn't. There was no. We did a lot of deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, but none of that was like a let's call it a, a official SF, you know mentoring operation or how to say it uh, no let's say like it was not it was the first official combat operation that the sf unit 
for our SF unit. So it's like that. Okay, so yeah, like so, um, I, I know uh, during the course of the Global War on Terror, the Marines, uh, they developed their, uh, what's known as MARSOC, the Marine Special Operations. MARSOC, yeah. So they had their train up and then um, when they were ready to roll, they deployed, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was with Navy SEALs um, on their first deployment and, and the SEALs, I guess, were kind of mentoring them and, and, and that sort of thing. So w- would that be kind of similar to what it was for you guys? Um no, basically, we did like a lot of deployments before, but most of our deployments were mentoring the uh, ANSF, so Afghanistan National Security Forces or the Iraqi guys. Okay, okay. We didn't do like none of our previous deployment was like, uh, let's say, official going out on missions with these guys. You know, mostly it was mentoring or doing some our own, let's say, missions, which were were not that big, because uh, like I mm-hmm. said. A uh, small country, small unit, you always need to have a partner, uh, a bigger country. So this one was like a, a like a officially, officially, even like in like, like a combat unit, like a, a combat operation, like a large scale combat operation, let's say it like that. Okay. Um, so can you share with the audience, um, you know, perhaps a story of, of one of the operations that you guys went on, like just to give people kind of an understanding of what you guys were going through? Uh, yeah, sure. So let's say our like main course was basically mentoring uh, ERC, like provincial response company. So it's like a special unit of the, their police, something like that. So we did mentoring them and did, we did uh, operations with that from uh, armed reconnaissance to direct actions to basically high-value targets, really depends. Um, a story, I don't know, there's a couple of them. Uh, one is particularly interested how this, you know, how this works is there was a big valley that was known the Taliban were using it for, like, their stronghold. Even you had uh, some, mm, during our stay, some SAS guys tried to storm that valley. They got one of their dogs got captured, one of their guys got killed or something, like four nationals got killed. I forgot. So it was like a pretty, 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 um, um, how do you call this, um, not cleaned out valley because, you know, when the when the coalition forces came to clean it up, let's say a couple of years ago, and then nobody came there for quite some time. So the Taliban put a big stronghold uh, we went on operation. It was us, our guys, the national guys, PRC. There was ANA. I I don't know even who the fuck was there. You know, you know when you find yourself in a bunch of people who don't have uniforms, don't have anything, they have weapons. You don't even know who the fuck is this. Yeah. Local police, national fucking police. You know, uniform police. It, so the operation was pretty big. There was like around. Uh, I'm gonna lie, but let's say around like say 900 fucking people all together, you know. Okay. And it was maybe let's say 30, 30 of us guys, us and the U.S. guys. So the plan was basically just you know to get two teams, one team to go up to a hill and have like a overwatch, and the other team to try and you know clean clean the valley up a little bit. So 
let's say in ours, that was in the Overwatch team. So we had like maybe 300 people, let's say. And it was like, it was me. So it was three of us Slovenians and two Americans, basically. And all the other were the nationals. So until we got the, on the top of the fucking hill, and that was like, let's say, one hour, two hour walk. It was five of us guys, one interpreter, one PRC guy, and one ANA guy from oh. 300 people. So <laughs> that, that actually made it up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like pretty interesting to see how people fucking disappeared while you were going like deeper and deeper <laughs> inside. Uh, so we exchanged some fire up there, you know. Uh, got in a small firefight, uh, called in some casts, but you know, these motherfuckers are, you know, whoever says these motherfuckers don't know how to fucking fight, like, I think he never been to fucking Afghanistan or somewhere. Right. Because, you know, we had fucking, you know, fucking Apaches over them and that shit, and they were like still, still fucking hitting us, hitting us. Like, usually they hide, but like in this valley, it was, you know, they know the fucking terrain, they knew fucking everywhere. So it was pretty interesting, let's say it. But like I said, the most interesting part was like, you know, from 300 people, you know, going to the mountain and only fucking 10 people come up there. <laughs> so while while we when you know, when the op was over and we had to go back while we were going back, you know, it was like suddenly 10 people, 20 people, 30 <laughs> people, 40, you know, 100. And then we suddenly got a call from the, you know, from uh, up above, you know, like, can you guys turn your strobes on and that shit? Because I really don't know who the fuck is anymore who. So, <laughs> so that's one of the stories, like how how shit works there, basically. So, right. You, you're supposed to mentor them, but you basically they just use you for fucking yeah you know, to fight instead of them. Right, and and that's you know if anyone kind of pays attention to anything that happens in Afghanistan, I I think that's kind of uh it's not very uncommon. Uh, for Afghanistan, yeah. you know. So yeah, it's, it's you know, you could always know. Like you know, another story is like we were going to uh, like clean some uh, like a warehouse or some shit. You know, we come there. It was like four of us trucks and one of the fucking national nationals. And I talked to one of the Green Berets. I was like, hey, I think we're gonna get shot right now. Like two minutes later, we were in a firefight. You know, wow. <laughs> it's like. Shit is so obvious, so yeah, you know. <laughs> but fuck it, that's you know, that's how it works. Right. No, not the best story, maybe you know, I don't know, but you know, it's a funny story. No, no, it's cool, man. Yeah. Um, so, so now you, uh, you know, you you have your deployment. D- did you get out of the military shortly afterwards, or did you stay in for a while? Uh, I stayed in for a while. I, I was a. Uh, Selection. I was instructor on the selection. I was instructor on the basic training. Uh, did some cross training again. Was supposed to go to Iraq now to support the Kurds, but was supposed to go to the states for some more training. But you know, like I said, small country, small unit. Uh, like a big political effect on our unit, especially because, like I told you, the mentality in our country is like, you know, not nothing is happening here. So I just got that feeling like that, you know, you train, you do all that shit and, you know, they don't let you off the leash. 
you know what I mean? So, right. right. And I was like, I don't know if I can take this, <laughs> you know, doing doing all this and not getting the, you know, the right opportunity to to let it out. So I said, fuck this. So I went out. And and how long has it been since you left the uh, Slovenian military? So I left what uh, January this year, so it's not that long. Oh, okay. So that's okay. okay. Yeah, not 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 that long. Um, like I said before, I did some work with uh, some other uh, let's call it agency. So it was more convenient also for me to leave the army because you know it's hard to to balance both of it, and then started doing some private security. Uh, then I went to Africa, did some private security. So, you know, just trying trying to find myself or whatever they call it these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, cool, man. So, are you are you are you done with like the whole security type of work, or are you are you still just not really sure? Uh, basically, I'm still like the problem with the security right now is like you know, there's a lot of market got open for a lot of. Uh, don't get me wrong, but for a lot of Romanians, Bulgarians, and stuff like that, which are working for, you know, small money, so the companies are fucking using that big time, you know. Mm, I see. And to get, uh, and to get in, like, a big com- like a good company, it's hard for us guys, especially because, you know, uh, Slovenia, like, who the, where the fuck is that? Even with all the qualification and all this shit, you know, it's hard to get a, get a good job. So right now, I'm like, you know, between jobs that they trying to get some shit and working some other shit. <laughs> right. Right. I see. I see what you mean, man. So, all right, cool, man. Um, so it's great having you on. I, I, I haven't, um, you know, I haven't seen much or heard much from, from any kind of Slovenian, uh, military or specifically soft, uh, before, you know, I, I think people are really going to enjoy, you know, hearing, listening to your perspective and, and hearing things from your point of view. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We'll be hiding. We're small. We've been hiding. You know? <laughs> it's time for us to go out there and, you know, show people that you can do the same shit like everybody else. You know, it doesn't matter where you fucking came or who the fuck are you. You know, you can shine. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, cool, brother. So it was nice talking to you, man. Um Good here, man. You know, if you if you want to come back on, or you know, you have anything you want to kind of talk about, you know, we could definitely get you back on. If you ever have any topics like you know medicine and all, all like, like medic shit, you know, if you want to have a talk, no worries, man. Just give me a buzz. All right, cool. Thanks, brother. I appreciate everything. Yeah. No worries, man. Anytime, anytime. If you come back to Norway anytime, let me know. You know, beers are known to me. Nice. Cool conversation with Siddiq. Um, I, I haven't heard much from uh, any Slovenian military, let alone a, a, a soft medic. And it's kind of interesting because a, a country like that is so small. And I guess, you know, with everything that happens globally, people don't really pay attention to these kind of smaller countries. But, uh, you know, they do contribute uh, to the fight and... You know, it's, I guess it's interesting to hear from people like that. Uh, and I know, do you, you have any experiences like cross training with uh, other militaries, medics specifically, or anything like that? 
Yeah, we always, um, every every exercise usually that involves um, whichever brigade you're attached um, to or there's always there's always a counterpart. We do, we do a lot of cross-training with, obviously, with you guys, with the, with the Americans and Australians, ca- um, Canadians. I'm not too sure. We do a little bit with um, some of the, the European armies. And I know, obviously, in my time in Afghanistan, we were working, you know, we had... Um, parts of the Belgian military um, and people like that around. But, it's, yeah, I always find it really interesting because there are people work in different climates. Um, the Australians are particularly good because um, their climate's very – it's not the same as the Middle East, but they do get very, um, you know, dry sort of desert conditions. Right. Um, yeah, and it's always I, – I find it really interesting. It's cool. You know, I always, I always like to look at people, and it's quite funny, and this is just me because I'm a Brit – is because everyone thinks their kit's shit, you know. It's, it's always like you get to a point like that, and then you always see um, other militaries' kit, and you're always exchanging stuff. I used to always be exchanging ration packs. Oh, right, because the difference between like the MREs yeah. and and what you guys are having. And our, ours are, you know, ours are really like, they're fit for purpose. Don't get me wrong; they're really they pack down really small, but they don't. They're probably better now, but when I sort of first started, they were terrible. You know, they were just really hideous and then i remember you know my first sort of viewing of an mre seeing a bag of m&ms and it was like the holy grail <laughs> you know it was amazing it was and then there was one and this is so sad really that i was getting a lot of joy from a, a piece of lemon pancake <laughs> you know and just it's just weird isn't it it's the weird the little things like that that kind of but yeah i think our militaries have always been like that and in particular our sort of soft communities are they're they're sort of in, in each other's um, units all the time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he's on his rotation when he went to into Afghanistan, they deployed with a special forces ODA, so. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's good. And that, that's the thing. The interesting thing is, is we, we all we all go together. And if you don't, um, so, you know, certain people are better in certain roles and, that, and that's just the way it is. And I'm sure um, everyone's had their sort of, the piece of the pie, if you like, haven't they? Because no one's really come away unscathed, right? You know, and, it, and it's it's interesting. It's an interesting. Um, it's interesting to see how other other militaries view things. You know, how they, for instance, view um, alcohol in um, theaters and and different things. That's always quite interesting culturally. Right. I remember reading uh, a book called Task Force Black. Um, I forget the yeah. author's name, but he's a, a British journalist and. He was he was talking about the the tier one components in Baghdad during the height of the war with the uh, SAS and Delta, and how they were they right. were compound basically right next to each other, and um, at some point they like high fiving fiving over the wall. yeah right and and they <laughs> they like blew a hole through the wall so they could like go in between the compounds, and yeah. the Americans weren't allowed to drink but the British were they could drink so. I think, like, you know, every couple of days they would have some beers and a barbecue while yeah. the Americans over there, like, drinking salsa water and shit like that. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> no, and that, and that, yeah, and, and you mentioned those two units, but they, I think, obviously, historically, they've, um, they're very, a very tight unit, aren't they? Or very tight right. uh, friends and stuff. But, um, yeah, and, and that is it's nice. It's nice when you have that sort of relationship, I think. Yeah. And even when it comes to, and I noticed this actually in, you know, it sort of boils over from the, it starts with in the military. And then when you go into the sort of the, the private sector, it's exactly the same. You know, you can end up, I've actually probably worked with more foreign militaries since I left the the British Army. And it's, it's no bad thing. It's interesting. Yeah. And I guess, you know, there's a lot to learn from 
you know, work, working yeah, with other sure. professionals, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and even uh, it's quite it's quite funny because there's and you, like you say, there is a lot to learn, and then there's also sometimes a lot not to take on. Right. Right. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's just um, I suppose that's part of the course, isn't it? So the, you're not going to sort of like everything, but 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 by and large, the the experiences that I've had has been really good. Right. All right. Cool. So, all right. With that, we'll close out the episode. Um, you can check out Chantel on social media. Uh, on Facebook, it's Battleworn, the member of a combat medic in Afghanistan. Uh, Instagram is Mission underscore Critical. Um, and you can also catch her book anywhere that books are sold. Uh, just search on, I guess Amazon is probably the easiest place. Uh, you can search for a battle one on there and you can find a book. Uh, it's very good. And, um, thanks. You've got to say that, John. You're not going to say, oh, my co host wrote a shit book. Yeah, it sucks. Don't buy it, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, cheap, it's cheap for a download. Yeah. So if you, if you have Kindle. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, my website is globalrecon.net. Oh, actually, I take that back. Let me, let me rewind. Um, we are gearing up to start putting out art- articles on a kind of a consistent basis uh, for my website. And, uh, you know, we've got a good team of guys who are getting ready to do some good writing. So if anyone is interested um, in writing any articles for the website, we have uh, soft writers, special operations guys, um, infantry guys, if and it doesn't have to be someone with a military background, but we do prefer someone who has uh, subject matter expertise in, in uh, foreign policy, um, military history, that kind of thing. And if you're interested in that, send an email to john at globalrecon.net and we can discuss it further. So my website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook is fbrecon. On Instagram, my first account is IG Recon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. I'm on Twitter at IG Recon. And I'm on LinkedIn. Just search Global Recon. As always, I encourage you guys to share the episodes, download, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And uh, that way, we'll continue to give you high-quality content as we stay at the top of the charts on iTunes, government, and national categories. All right, so we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.